Like last week, we were talking about the unity that Christ wanted to have in the body of Christ. And so that idea of oneness, that essence of oneness that we are to have and enjoy, as you come together, that we all stand before the cross at the street level. All of us. There's none of us that stands higher or lower, for we all on bended knee worship the one who came from heaven to save us. And so we all share in that cross, we all share in that hope, we all share in that spirit, we all share in that faith. And yet there's the differences, there are differences in the understandings that we all come to the cross, which is fine, because we're all growing in that. But as we move into, as we move into the essence, as we understand that what Christ is doing is he wants us to grow together as a body of Christ. And that's what we were talking about in Ephesians 4, that Christ is going to bind that strong man, Satan, demons, anything that's an obstacle to help us grow. But he's going to build strong men and build strong women. And he's going to do that through you. He gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers, but he also gives the church you. And you are a gift. Whether you realize it or not, the Spirit of God will use you in the life of other people here in a way that's different than he'll use anybody uh, who's gifted in one of those offices. And yet, the idea that you move into communication, that as we connect with each other in Christ, there should be something happening when you meet another Christian. And I'll just really briefly say, do you remember the time when the woman at the... <clears throat> in the crowd couldn't get to Jesus because he was, she was being blocked. And she says, if I just touch the hem of his garment. And so he's, she was trying to move through that crowd and, and the disciples were with him and, and Jesus finally felt something happen when she touched the hem of his garment and power flowed out from him. And he said, who touched me? Who touched me? Well, turning around, this woman had touched him and and uh, instead of rebuking her or criticizing, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. But something happened that flowed from him to her. And I would suggest that should happen when Christians come together. There's something out of sight of your spirit should flow to somebody else to encourage, to exhort, to come alongside. When we come along together and share the oneness of the Spirit, something happens. Something beautiful happens. Lots happening. But that's the idea of the, that we were talking about last week. And so today I want to look a, a little bit about this thing of how we communicate and grow in faith as we think about how we encourage and build each other up. That's the direction we're moving. And you'll see in a couple of weeks how this will all tie together in the practical applications. But for now, to know that Christ has got a body together, a group of people in whom he has deposited his spirit. And therefore, as we mature in communication, as we mature in speaking the truth in love, as we, as we mature in understanding how you are my sister, you are my brother, and you say that to somebody else who calls on the name of Christ. It's not just my brother, my Baptist brother, my Presbyterian brother. Anybody who calls on Jesus Christ around the world, you're connected to. And that spirit that flows comes from that cross that we all stand at the street level. And here we are, but we come with a different, 
we have different experience and different levels. And I, I mentioned last week that poem that says we all have different experiences because of this. Two natures dwell within my breast. One is cursed, the other is blessed. One I love and one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. And there are Christians who know how to feed their spirit. Christians who know how to have daily devotions and quiet times and they, they worship God in private. And there are those who don't. They're too busy, they forget. They're... And so the levels of maturity and faith and hope and understanding are all different in terms of the relationship with Christ. And yet there's something that God wants to do within us that is different, 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 different. Do they say different? It's different from the world because in the world you won't find the unity that you are supposed to find in the, in the church. And yet this week has been a whirlwind as you think about what has happened in our country. And so you have John Adams saying, there is nothing which I dread so much as the division of the republic into two great parties and are each arranged under its leader and concerning measures in opposition to each other. And it says this, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil in our in our, under our Constitution. Division is not of God. Unity, that oneness, is of God. And yet in the world, Jesus would say, you will have tribulation. But did you hear the quote from Hosea when Judge Kavanaugh says, you sow the wind and you're going to reap the whirlwind. That's out of the prophet Hosea. I don't know if you know that. But this is what Christ would say, that what we sow is what we reap. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to the Spirit, to please the Spirit, will also have that same fruit from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. That idea that you're going to feed one or feed the other brings us to a position of learning how each person interacts with each other in the church as you share spiritually, fellowship, and let that flow, and you encourage and love and speak the truth. And it's a wonderful place to grow, even though you don't have it put together. None of us have it put together, but we all need each other to help us grow. And yet, as we do that, this week in particular... In America, we are defined by argument. Americans love to argue. We will argue and argue. It's one of the things I had to really adjust to coming back from Japan. And we are very argumentative because we think we have entitled rights. We have a right to say our opinion. We are Americans. We believe in the freedom of speech, and I would support that. And yet we don't speak the truth in love. We just speak in argument. And therefore, the, the whole week has just been a whirlwind of tension, dissension, cynicism. And I, my, my, uh, my fear is that we have now institutionalized skepticism and unbelief in the highest levels in the court. And therefore, what Jesus would say, Jesus knew their thoughts and said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or every household Every conversation divided against itself will not stand. And therefore, one of the things that Satan would love to do is to destroy this unity that God's Spirit really wants us to have. And therefore, in contrast to the world, what we have is the direction from Christ himself. And so, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body 
mature, not only in oneness, but mature knowing how to speak truth in love. And here's another, here's another aspect of communication where it just says we, we really are needy people. But as we speak together, and from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by itself, held together by every supporting ligament. That's you and me. You contribute to this. You grow and you build itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, this is going to get more exciting as we get into the fall. Think about the spiritual gifts and the training, Myers-Briggs, so on and so forth. But underlying all these disputes that's taking place in the world, underlying every conflict, you've got different differences regarding the source and the nature of morality, the justice, and the proper relationship of moral judgment of the law and how the interpretation of the law or the interpretation of, of witnesses and public policy. This has to do with differences of perspectives. But those perspectives won't, should not destroy us because as Paul would say in Ephesians 4, and he says, so I tell you this, and very few times does Paul say, I insist on this. That was a strange phrase. I insist, this is imperative. This is not an optional. I insist on this in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. Break away, separate. You do not imitate what they do, and yet we all bring into the church patterns we've learned from the world. But do, uh, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. Now, I want to, I want to draw your attention to one thing in this passage. It says, Paul says very clearly that the Gentiles are futile in their thinking. Therefore, do not be disturbed when you see people in Washington frustrated in their futility, but they're fighting but they're also darkened in their understanding. They don't really know because God is not part of their world. They're fleshly, worldly, uh, darkened people trying to get the world to work without God. And yet Paul would go on to say that they are separated from the life of God. And that means they're fleshly, worldly, secular. And therefore, this is a human endeavor, a human endeavor that we are not to imitate and it means as those spiritually dead to God, they're going to try to make the world work without God. Well, okay. But Jesus said that this way. If you follow me, you won't walk like them. You won't walk in darkness. You, won't, you will have the light of life because he is the light of the world. And therefore, the thing that, again, go back to, he said there's ignorance in them and the hardening of the hearts. Now, I want you to make this connection. Because if you don't, you'll misunderstand. When you talk to a hard heart person, you talk to an angry person, you talk to a passionate person, there are things that are going on in somebody's heart and spirit that you will miss. But get the connection that if your heart is hardened, if your heart is hardened, is directly connected to ignorance. Ignorance is hardness. Now think about that for a minute. And therefore a hardened heart will keep you from perceiving spiritual truth. 
A hardened heart is just what Paul or the writer of the Hebrews would say, uh, be on guard and be aware of the fact that, that there is in the experience of life, a, a can be a hardening of the heart because of the ignorance in the heart. And so he says, do not harden your hearts as you did in the, in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation in the Old Testament. Now notice the red. It says, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. And there's your ignorance. And as you get into the New Testament, there's something I want to draw on from the Old Testament. Uh, in Deuteronomy, there's a phrase I want to draw your attention to. It says, you may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That's the NIV version. That's what you would read. But there's something I want to draw your attention to in the Hebrew that comes out. You wouldn't get it. I wouldn't get it. Because we're Americans. We speak English, not Hebrew. But there's something about those prepositions. And the ESV says, beware lest you say in your heart. Interesting. The King James says, and thou say in thy heart. And you may say, in your heart. Now notice the key preposition is in. It's that there's a conversation in spirit that you're talking to yourself. And maybe, no matter where you are, there's always an ongoing conversation that you're having in your heart. And so, uh, the Lord makes a point of this. Because there's a difference when, when the Bible talks about people talking to themselves. And they say, in your heart. With each mind-boggling consistency in the scriptures, when you read that phrase, you say in your heart, or you say in, in your heart, a biblical figure is about to make a life-harming mistake. They're re relying on their self-interest. They're relying on their understanding, but they're saying in the heart. And this is from Rabbi Daniel Lapin. Now, you think about what you say in your heart when you turn to the decisions that you think about. Have you ever said in your heart, and the heart represents the affections, the emotions, the passions, the, the perceptions that you're going to come out and you're going to feel very strongly and you're going to argue from your heart. But when you argue from your heart, you think back to the bad decisions you made in your life. And isn't it true that a lot of emotional decisions that you made weren't good decisions? Because whether it's finances or relationships or you purchase something. But when you get into sin, there's something about how the heart is drawn and is deceived easily, readily, and therefore we move into a certain way of responding to laws or policy or people with a, a sense of coming out of my heart. And this is who I am. Well, to follow this up, the interesting thing is... Uh, get to the next slide. The interesting thing is, in the, in the Bible when it says, did I get it? Didn't get it. It's reloading. Um, but when you talk about a meaning and you define your meaning in your heart, or you define the way you perceive in your heart, there's a way which seems right to a man, but its way is the way of death. That's not the right one. Okay, so as we grow, as we're talking to each other, we're going to be talking out of our heart. 
from what fills the heart. Sorry about this. But in... But in the heart, we will have these questions that come up that you may wonder why, and you will have real questions with God, wrestling with God. Why me? God, why are you doing this to me? And that internal conflict, that internal position where you're, you're struggling with God because you're saying things to your heart that God is not part of that. that the idea that in your heart, uh, when, when, here's Jeremiah 13, and if you say in your heart, and if you ask yourself in NIV, why has this happened to me? It's because of your many sins, which you can't see. But if you say, uh, as Jeremiah said, I, this is happening to me because either God is doing something or you have some answer to the why question. In Judas, we have a story where Judas, it says right before he was, uh, Christ was crucified, it said the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already put in his heart. So the idea is that there's a focus in the scriptures about what's going on on the inside. And that inside is, uh, when you think about this word, in your heart, and there's another preposition I want to bring out. It says, to your heart or at your heart. And therefore, when the Bible talks about uh, at or to, it's your head is taking over and your head is speaking to your heart. It's what you say in your brain and your brain then addresses your heart. Now, in your heart or, or at your heart or to your heart, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this is that in the, in the way the Lord thinks and the way the Lord speaks, God's wisdom is always guiding and protecting his heart. God always speaks out of the wisdom, but he always speaks out of the love. He speaks truth in love. And that's what we needed to learn. And so as we move to the idea of, uh, is that the brain has a logic and the heart has reasons, but they all come together as one. But when you speak to, to your heart, when you speak to your heart, and you'll see this, I can get this to you, uh, that in many situations in the, New, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, it would be like David would say to his soul, David would speak to his heart, and he would say, why are you disturbed, O my soul? And, and when you talk, when you go to the Lord in prayer, do you talk to the Lord about what you talk to yourself about? Did you get that? That sometimes, do you talk to yourself? Now Sandy, when she's curling her hair, she'll talk to herself and out loud, and I'll think, who's she talking to? <laughs> we, how many talk, do you talk to yourself? Do you answer yourself? Now, do you ask questions about your soul? Why did you do that? And a lot of people are just totally unaware of what's going on inside. And therefore, when we can speak to our hearts, and we speak to them, and tell them to direct them back to the scriptures, I want you to know what the Lord says. And therefore, each time we read that he said to his heart, we see somebody making a move of wisdom. They may feel one thing, but the heart is checked by the head. And so the head addresses the heart, 
And as we do so, we find that's the way of wisdom. That's the way of spiritual maturity. There's no longer ignorance. Remember, ignorance is with, with uh, hardness. But what's the opposite of ignorance? It's education. So having a smart faith means being aware, being informed, being sure that your head is connected to your heart in the right balance. And so your head leads your heart, and your heart informs your head, but they come together as one, and that's what the spiritual maturity is. You can't do this without the Spirit of God helping you, showing you what's in your heart, showing you what's in your head. And that's what's so interesting when it comes to communication. Uh, Each time we read that you say to your heart, uh, some of us don't say anything to our hearts. We just kind of go on and we just, we don't, we're just not aware. And therefore, uh, a couple of phrases, let's see if I can get this one on. You know that in, with the atheist, he'll look at the universe and he'll say in Psalm 14.1, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool is thinking in his heart and he's suppressing that. And how can you look at the universe? When the universe declares the glory of God, the fool says, no, there's no God. And he shuts down because he's ignorant. Well, the opposite is not to shut down, but to open up and to say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, I want you, I want you to speak to me. I want you to open my heart. I want to hear you. I want you to guide me. And I want you to speak to my heart. And this is what happened uh, with Hannah. In Hannah... When Hannah was praying, she was praying to the Lord and they thought she was drunk. But what Hannah was saying to her heart, Hannah was speaking to the Lord from her heart, but she was talking at her heart and bringing Christ in. And therefore, when you have, when you have that kind of prayer life where you're fully aware of what's going on inside you, and you wear, you're aware of your heart and you're aware of your head, and you take it to the Lord. That's what Hannah did. To speak to the heart. Now that's a real interesting conversation. In your heart or at your heart or to your heart. And when you do this, you can grow in Christ as Christ then helps us move into maturity. And you do that as you listen to the Spirit of God. And as you listen to your heart and you listen to your head and you listen to others. What you find is this movement into maturity. And that movement means that you'll move from foolishness into faith. You'll move from a hardness to a sensitivity. You'll move from an immaturity to a maturity. And as you move, you will do this as you grow in Christ and as the Spirit of God helps you lay aside the flesh and put on the Spirit, you are growing up and building others up in the fellowship. Now this is the wonderful part this is the wonderful part, because as, as we listen to the Spirit of God, He will give us the wisdom and He will give us that understanding when we need to speak. If there's a passage I want to get to in Job, in Job 38, think about this. Um, oh, this is Ephesians. If you, you did not learn Christ in this way, but notice verse four, uh, 21. You have heard Him, you've been taught in Him, and the truth is in Christ, you have to learn. You have to learn to walk in the Spirit of Christ in order to grow in Christ. 
If God gives wisdom to the animals, and he does, if I can get this one on, he, uh, he gives wisdom to the ibis, it says. Who gives the ibis wisdom? And, who, and uh, where does he get understanding? Who gives the rooster understanding? Another passage in Job, it says. And so if God's going to give animals wisdom to work in their world, and we come to him, we cry, if anyone lacks wisdom, God will give you wisdom. God will give you wisdom. The Spirit of God will give you the wisdom of Christ. And therefore, as we move into that wisdom, it's the Spirit of God that will speak to your head and speak to your heart to keep that union, that communication, that truth, that love, that oneness together. That's what, that's what it says that Paul will go into as we connect with each other. Uh, we will walk with each other in such a way that we will have that mind of Christ. Well, let me stop here because we can go, we go on and we'll continue to go on because later on in the passage, this comes into real, uh, uh, into play when it says we are to speak truth to each other. We are to speak tenderly with each other. We are to speak with wisdom to each other. And as we do so, you find the relationships will grow in love. Now, we're all in a different level of maturity. And therefore, as we move in Christ, you should find somebody encouraging you, discipling you, mentoring you, helping you, loving you, understanding you, here. If you don't find that in the church, where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find it? But that's what the Spirit of God is going to do. And that is what we call maturity. And that's what Paul is after. Well, let me stop here because it's going to continue on in the next chapter very practically as we move into how, how do we reflect the mind of Christ as he speaks to us and as we speak to others. We'll learn that as we go in chapter 4 and 5 and 6. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, you, you always have uh, more for us. You always have more for us. And you, you knew how to disciple your men. You know how to disciple us. I pray, Jesus, that your spirit would give us a sensitivity to hear you and to obey you and to follow you so that we would mature to be like you. And that's our prayer, Jesus. Help us this day with that. And we ask that for your glory and our growth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.